We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Curry steps back. Bang! Samus Vendiari, Light Years Podcast. We are now at 51. You're you're like Steph Curry here. You're just taking the first round off. Last week you're all you you were injured. You're hurt. You're you're sick. Now you're ready for the real thing. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. On Saturday when I still was in pain, day six of the flu, um, I spent it all tweeting those guys who follow me. I'm sure everybody's listening. Follow. By the way, me. that's how I know you're finally getting better because like you were just non communication for like four days, and that's that's not your mo. Like, so. <laughs> no, my shoulder hurt by the end of the day. By the end of I tweeted so much because I was so out of practice. My shoulders hurt. My right shoulder was hurting a little bit. So, um, it feels good. I'm back now. My fingers are good. No cramps. Nothing. So I'm ready. I'm watching Portland. I'm just ready to fire these off. Let's go. Yeah. So, um. We have a guest this episode. This is one of my favorite um, follows on Twitter and actually uh, what, one of my favorite sites to check out uh, for basketball content, um, writer on jumpball.net, Mo Dockhill. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm happy I get the full, fully healthy Andy, you know, <laughs> after his after his flu game uh, podcast a, a week ago. I, I was carrying him on that one. Don't think it was a Jordan flu game. That was uh, that was um, that was like when um, 
when Gordon Hayward had the flu last playoffs, but um, <laughs> right. who, went, who went off against the Clippers? Someone else went off. Joe uh, Johnson. Yeah, Joe Johnson went off. Yeah, that, that was me last episode. It actually works out because I'm like 10 years older than Andy. <laughs> Not really. But um, Isn't Joe Johnson in the playoffs right now? Isn't he like – He's kind of out of the oh. rotation right now. Well, yeah. Oh, Houston. Oh, delicious. Even better. He plays for Houston. It's you know what? Is he playing? Did he? I don't think I saw him play against Minnesota. I watched the whole game. Well, I guess that's a that's a bad thing if I didn't notice he played it and, and he was in that game. He's what ninth, tenth man, which D'Antoni in the playoffs means you don't play. Right. Yep. I mean, D'Antoni's rotation shortens to five and a half. <laughs> it shortens to James Harden bail us out, which has you know <laughs> been a great recipe in in the previous playoffs. Got to stick with what works. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's uh, let's start with um, the Warriors, who within one day the national narrative went from they're going to get beat to oh well, of course they're great now already. We we knew this. The playoffs are going to be boring. They're going to win it all. Um, are either of you guys surprised at all how easy it's been for them versus the Spurs? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do we even want so, to talk about this game? I don't think you well, 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 Sam said you had you were a little worried, so we do we do have to talk about how I was correct and you were incorrect. So we'll, we'll start there. Well, we can I'm we can okay talk about that. how I was correct on every other series. So except for the one I should know. <laughs> um, it was I mean it was a little surprising, right? If you were someone that is not as confident as I pretend to be all the time, you would think that the Warriors were going to struggle in the first game. So whatever they did in the second game, they ended up struggling a little bit. That was probably what people expected, probably the first three games. But it just doesn't matter. Like, you watch it, and you're like, it, it really doesn't matter to the point um, the Warriors started trying harder in the third quarter of the second game. They literally were able to do what they do in the regular season and do that in the first round series against the Spurs. And like nowadays, when you say the Spurs, it's not really the Spurs anymore, right? It's like I watched Kyle Anderson airball a three from the baseline, <laughs> and he literally looked like he didn't want to be there or shoot, like not just shoot the ball. He didn't want to be on the court. So it's like that's not the Spurs that we're used to ever. So that is, and honestly, it's kind of depressing when I watched it. It was covering the game yesterday. It was kind of depressing. Just there was no media there. Right. Nobody was covering like nobody was asking any questions. There's nobody there. Um, the crowd was great, but there was just no energy from really the Warriors or the Spurs. Right. Warriors. It just it didn't show up until the third quarter. So it's kind of a depressing series. Yeah. I mean, this this kind of goes to Sam. I think you and I have talked about it before. Where I, I, I haven't been worried about the Warriors just because I was like, they just need to get to the playoffs and everything will be fine. The uh, and, and then. After they saw what they could do in game one, they realized that, oh, we can coast through this series and probably sweep as well, which is why they didn't show up till the third quarter um, uh, of game two. So I kind of think this is what we're going to see from them until they tell somebody punches them in the mouth and they're locked in. They know it's the playoffs, but I think it's it's going to take somebody at least really threatening them through the course of an entire game for them to go like, oh, we, we really need to get our stuff together. Yeah, actually, so I should have backed up. Mo, you worked for the Clippers um, in the the early part of the Lob City era, correct? So I had two stints with the Clippers. I had I was there under Dunleavy and then went to San Antonio for two years and then went nice. there and, and right after the lockout and was there for, for a couple of years of Lob City. 
Okay, so this is um, so we're definitely gonna we're gonna delve into some some Clippers versus Warriors and like the height of the Mark Jackson era later. But um, I, I this is what kind of bugged me about everyone covering the Warriors all year is none of them really got the kind of the psychology of a veteran team. And you you probably could speak to this since you've been around NBA teams, particularly veteran ones. It's like it, it, you. Like we're we're so used to the Warriors being that young up and coming team that like the idea that they would coast all year, it it, um, it it surprised everyone. It goes against what we want, right? Is we want every game to matter. We want every them to be locked in for mm-hmm. all eighty two games. We want them to, um, you know, just be as passionate in game one to game thirty to game you know sixty to game eighty, and it's. What I don't think people realize is that's hard to do to kind of just carry that that sort of passion. And the funny thing is we've had it from the Warriors that 73 and, and nine year, right? Where like every game mattered and they're, you know, they were gunning for that record. And we saw how tiring that was. And I think they've kind of have that understanding of like, we don't have to go that crazy in a game in January on a Tuesday, you know? And, and there's a, a level of just, what we want as fans and, and, and media and narrative, you know, it's like, that's just not a realistic thing. There, there are nights where you, you just don't have it. And I always kind of compare these things to people going to their regular day job. Like, yeah, I'm not locked. I'm not locked in at the cubicle 365. That's for sure. <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. You're just like, God, I, most people show up to work, not wanting to be there. So, I mean, it's just kind of, this is different. These guys play, they, they, they have a interesting lifestyle. Um, but it's also a job at the same time. And there are days where you're just like, gosh, all right, we're, we're, we're running through the dog days and we're going through the motions again and more veteran teams that definitely happens to, cause they also know what, what they're playing for and, and pacing themselves. So it wasn't surprising to me to see what the Warriors. it was surprising. Everybody kind of freaking out about how they looked. I was like, this is probably what i mean i thought they might look a little better but i mean this yeah is, i mean I'm, I'm, if steph if steph uh plays a full season and not 50 games they probably win what 63 games and that's their down year you know yeah like, that's what we're really talking about here so it's really it's really kind of silly it was like the only question mark with them in my opinion was health and and i had that going into the first round i didn't kind of i didn't know how healthy draymond was i guess um, and he he looks like his same crazy self. And Iggy's looked great. Iguodala's looked very good. Yeah, definitely. He um he had the long con. He's definitely in that like yeah. uh, Robert Ori Boris Diaw stage of the like. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll just be there. I'll just be there in, in April through June. That's that's where I'm getting my paycheck. Yo, that that's the biggest troll that you can do is all season. <laughs> It's just to do what he did. And really, he did look awful, though. Like, just in a vacuum, he looked awful. And then he comes out here, and he immediately jacks up. I mean, he makes three threes within the first couple minutes, and then he seals well, he seals the game with a fourth three. And then he has a dunk and stares down Manu for some reason. I don't really know why. Um, but <laughs> what what is that? I just – that that's something where – I mean, that's like the encapsulation of the Warriors. Um, I think some guys you worry about. Um, where you don't know if they have it. I think Draymond is probably someone I think you would worry about. I think with KD, Clay, you kind of know they'll turn up. But with Dre, it's like you're so used to him doing it all the time. So with Draymond, you're not sure. And and then he gets a tech. 
So that's how you, or sorry, a flagrant. flagrant. That's how you know who's a hostile bad. act. So you were truly, you were in the arena. You missed this when they when they said reviewing for hostile act, and I'm like. That, that's like the terminology they use for like terrorist attacks, like or potential, yes. it's like potential hostile act. I'm like, my God, arrest Draymond's out early this year. He usually, usually got to wait till like the second or third round to get into that. And, um, I'll yeah. take the hit here. I thought it was a flagrant foul, but like when they announced it as a hostile act, I was like, this is a bit much. <laughs> Can you imagine when that happens in OKC or in Cleveland? Oh. That's oh, we, we've fun. already seen it when he plays in those cities. Anytime he, he fouls someone, and like some of them are hard fouls, no way around that, but it's just Russell Westbrook or LeBron sprinting to the ref like they're um, soccer players, like begging yeah. for the red card. You know, it's, it's, I, I, it, it never gets funny to me. Like the players who are supposedly like hard and like not soft, like the Warriors are always the ones chasing the refs to get the Warriors ejected. Right, you know, the, the Warriors are so soft with, with the dude who commits the most fouls. <laughs> I mean, Draymond's the only guy that actually hits people. That, that is funny. That is funny, you, uh, the softest part. It is, it's good, speaking of that, it is good to see that Zaza Pachulia is not playing. And really, at this point, it doesn't look like he's going to play at all for the rest of the postseason. That warms my heart. The other thing of it uh, here is that I – absolutely despise watching Kevon Looney play basketball right now. Can I, can I ask so bad? Can I ask you guys a question? Go for it. I mean, I Jordan bell, like I know he's out of the rotation injuries and stuff like that, but he seems like the perfect fit for the team. I just, I don't understand why Kerr has has him completely out of the rotation. I think it's personality based, but I haven't really dug it. It, It's been strange because um, the first stint where Steph went out um, in December, Jordan Bell was a huge part of the rotation. He was probably outside of the core guys, probably played the most minutes or he was in that like 25 minute range, which is, you know, pretty high for rotation guy. Right. Uh, and right. he was in all those key lineups. Obviously, you remember on Christmas Day, he started and um, that lineup with uh, Iggy Clay, KD, Draymond and Jordan Bell, which could just switch everything. was an absolute terror on defense. Um, he had those injuries. Um, I kind of assumed the injuries were why he wasn't getting heavy run. Uh, and now I'm just confused. I know that Kerr's been harder on him to quote unquote, you know, develop the good habits. So mm. he doesn't go off the deep end. Um, and you know, I guess Kerr doesn't want to deal with a second Draymond. <laughs> but, well, uh, you, you, well the, the, here's, here's the thing. You know what it is? It's that Kevon Looney doesn't make those like infuriating mistakes that, that like you're saying like Draymond would make, but Draymond you live with cause it's Dray, but Jordan Bell, you can't live yeah, with. Dre's, Dre's Dre's so yeah. Dre is so good. You you don't have a choice. Like you're just not right. going to bench him. Kerr's not going to live with those, but he's going to live with Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney just sucking. It's like Kevon <laughs> Looney can't guard LaMarcus, but it, like, eh, well, you know, like, you know, at least he made him, at least he contested it, right? And if he doesn't make a finish or anything like that, it's, oh, you know, at least he's in the right place. So he's, like, kind of in the right place, kind of doing the right thing, but he's so bad that it doesn't matter, that it's, it's just not working. But Kerr's like, well, it's not a mistake, so we're comfortable with putting him in there. And I guess it's fine just because you don't need him right now, but if he pulls his shit, my, my thing is he pulls his shit against Houston and he tries to play him or start him or play him, like, more than eight minutes and he's um, going to. Game. 
And he right. will. That, that's what is going to piss me off because it's, dude, it's just not necessary, right? And well, but the, here's the thing though, because um, Kerr started Igadala in game one, which I was shocked. Kerr doesn't do anything unless he doesn't have to, which I was shocked. So that kind of tells you maybe this postseason Kerr is going to be willing to do things quicker preemptively, like playing Draymore maybe. Right. That type of thing, which I think that's like the only move that he can that he needs to make here to win the championship. And who knows if he'll do that early enough. I still Houston, I still but. think he'll be a little judicious with going to the, the small ball lineup. Sure. Um, right. I, I do it's think just, a lot of these lineups they're playing now are also uh, body prevention lineups. Like he's just not going small versus Spurs, not because not for any tactical reason other than like why put the wear and tear on Katie and Draymond's bodies this early when you don't need to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think to me, like the thing about Bell and, and I get it to the Kevon Looney's in the right places. He just sucks. I mean, by that standard, I should be playing as long as I'm in the right places. <laughs> um, but with Bell, like I at least want to get him. I, I would want to get him playoff reps and, and, and things like that. And yeah, he can drive you if he's driving him crazy and all that, that's fine. But you want to get him those reps just because you don't that, know when you're going to need him. That's what, that's how I feel too because sure. I think they're going to play the Pelicans next round. Um, it could go either way, but obviously if they play the Pelicans, um, that's not a matchup for any of the Warriors' quote unquote centers. Uh, that's yeah. a matchup where like if you do play a big, it's got to be Bell or Looney who are really power forwards, um, and. There, he's gonna ha- he's gonna have no run. You don't really want him to get his first run against Anthony Davis, and then all of a sudden you're you know e- even if they do play them, then you're talking about going into Houston and putting him in a thousand pick and rolls with Harden and Chris Paul. So it's like this is a good series for him to just 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 let him make his mistakes against the Spurs. It's not going to cost you. All right, let him get his playoff jitters out. Um, well, I got a question for you because I'm curious about this. Uh, I, I wrote yesterday about the Warriors turning on the switch at halftime. Um, is there a team, and you've been around a couple veteran teams that have won. Now, uh, is there a team that kind of does this, though, just with the way that they're arrogant enough to not really have to try until they absolutely have to? Not in the regular season, not going to the postseason, but during a postseason game. I don't know if I've seen it in the postseason. I, mean, I, uh, I would say LeBron teams last year, at least the Cavs with LeBron and Kyrie, they they didn't really try in a lot of playoff games. Yeah, and, and, and but I I think it's just kind of like everybody though else was trying. I feel like with the I feel like the whole team with the Warriors is like, eh, we're gonna chill. Um, in, in in that regard, I I it, it's interesting with the Warriors. It's just a uber confidence too, right? It's that whole idea of like. There's no lead that's big enough that we can't get ourselves back into the game. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a dangerous game to play. It, it certainly can uh, come back and uh, bite you in the ass. Um, uh, can I say that or? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so, what you you're good. Right, well, don't start that because if I let it go, if I start letting <laughs> myself go, it's 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 uh, every other word and that's a problem. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but I think that's kind of a thing. And, and you're right, Sam. Like the the Cavs. You know, definitely had that element with them with with LeBron and Kyrie and and at least in the East, at least in the East, because they're like, I mean, at what point were they ever scared of like a DeRozan or an Isaiah Thomas led team? You know, like it's hard. 
it's it's the same thing the Warriors are dealing with the Spurs now. At no point are they worried about like Lamarcus taking over to the game the game to a level that they can't come back on. You know, Patty Mills, you know, you guys aren't concerned about the Patty Mills ten dribbles pull up three. <laughs> over Looney, of course. That might be that's like their second or third best play at this point. It is. It's 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 sad, and I and, and those are my guys. Like I love Patty. I knew him from my days in Australia, uh, and, and stuff like that. But like watching him, it, it's it's hard to watch just because this team is missing their their best player, the guy that makes the team go. Yeah, they're uh, all they're all playing one to two roles too big, and that's just yeah. really frustrating. yeah, that's what it is. It's yeah. like because I mean they're all still good players at what they do. Like Danny Green's a quintessential example of that. Like <laughs> right. totally fine role player, but ask him to be more than a spot up, spot up shooter and defensive player, it's, and it's all a mess. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the thing. And with, with the with the Spurs and why I've why I'm just like this is gonna be a sweep. Like I have no doubt in my mind. Um, unless unless you guys really take a tire game off. I mean, they could. I I, I picked know. five at the beginning of the series. It still wouldn't surprise me if the Spurs won game three or four, just on the fact that they're they're still a proud bunch. Like, I mean, Ginobili and Parker are playing incredibly hard. Like, now, granted, they can't do as much as they used as, to, as they used to. But I mean, that it's not a team that's going to quit, right? I would look at it more though. If they won a game, it's really because you guys lost. Right. Then they <laughs> then they went and won, and, and and I'm not trying to be dismissive or anything like that. It's just we we've seen it. You guys turn on the switch. I've done my videos of Clay Thompson running around. I've done two already at this point. Um, it's just they can't stay with you guys. It's, it's by the way. Can just, I can oh, I give you a little plug on your site for that? That's that's how I knew you actually did film work because when I was watching <laughs> your your film stuff, it's like a lot of people do blog films, and sure. most of them are like they essentially try to do too much in my opinion. They're <laughs> right. like, they're, they're like trying to over explain it to show how smart they are versus getting to the goddamn point. Um, <laughs> whereas like I was watching yours. I'm like, uh, this is someone who realizes people don't have an attention span and he gets to, he gets to what he needs to get to and like cuts it up in a way that makes sense. I, I, I just, I, I like quick hitters. I'm, I am. I, I want to get in, make my point, and get out. I try not to make too many points. Uh, if if you give me a half hour show, that that would be a problem, right? Then I'd go overboard. But I gotta imagine and NBA coach or professional coaches are like condensed this to the absolute necessity. Yeah, no. Sometimes there, I've had experiences where some coaches have come in. Like here's a. I'll give you a quick tidbit. A lot of coaches. You know, we always have an offensive coach and a defensive coach, and and after a game. You know, the the next morning, the offensive coach and defensive coach would have specific plays they want to have ready for at least a coach's meeting before practice. And then we'll narrow it down and decide what we want to show the players. I've had defensive coaches. I've never had problems. I've had an offensive coach in the past come in with there have been 100 offensive possessions in the game and come in with like 93 clips flagged and want to show in the coach's meeting. (laughs) Which, which sounds which like Quinn Snyder. No, I, I, I never worked with Quinn, so the Quinn's definitely in the clear there. But I've, I've, I, I remember just thinking, like, well, what was wrong with the other seven clips? <laughs> if we're going, I mean, what, what was so bad in the other seven clips that you decided you didn't want to show it in the coaches' meeting? And we would never get through it. But that's kind of my thing, where I was like, yeah, we just got to get in, get out. Doc was very great about 
very short film sessions. I mean, literally like three or four clips. I think that's that's kind of where I've sort of just realized short attention spans. We just got to get in, make our points, and get out. Uh, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that because when I used to blog, so now when I write, I just kind of write just whatever pops up to, into my mind. With I don't use stats or anything like that. When I used to blog, when I tried to to be a writer way back when I was in college, like four years ago, I used to I used to take you'd write novels snippets of like well but i used to take like i used to watch film and break them down because i used to want to like explain and analyze you know hey this is how this guy's how, how defense is working this is how you know this guy is guarding pick and roll you know pretty standard stuff right it's not like i'm an actual coach or anything but like i would never know though like what to use because just i just end up having a crap ton of clips right and not know how much to put into my pieces and i could either end up with like eight or nine different clips, but then now I'm explaining eight or nine different things and who the hell is going to read that, right? Um, <laughs> but when you're writing it, you're like, back when I was, I loved it. I loved spending 1,500 words on this stuff. Um, but who, who's going to read that? Who's going to read? I remember doing one where I broke down how Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, uh, Harrison Barnes guarded pick and rolls, right? Did they switch? Did they push a baseline? And then like, I, I looked at it and, I was just, and then now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, who... Who read that? <laughs> the very the, nerdy, the nerdiest people. But. Yeah, the very very hardcore read that, <laughs> and it's and, and that's great and I and, and good for them. But also at the same time, it's like <laughs> I need to get people to my side. I need to have a little bit of a broader audience. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and yeah, I also I feel like it's um, even if you are like like I would consider Andy and myself like very nerdy about wanting to know every detail. Even yeah. I just get fatigued with like <laughs> someone cutting up a thousand things and putting it there. It's it's just kind of the way minds are wired. Yeah. And, and I think it's also like when you start doing it, you're doing it almost for yourself to like prove you can do it. And then mm -hmm. when you get like a little yeah. better at it, you're you're thinking more like what does the audience need and what does the audience want? And those are I, two I, different things. And for me, I just want to show it to you so that the next time you see it, I don't have to explain it to you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't want to. It's kind of this is to be honest. This is how it all started. It was one of my friends was like, well, what's that? What's that? What's that? And I was like, damn it. I have to go start a website, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's kind of it. So it, the idea is let's just get to, you know, short and sweet. But fellas, you're, you're, you're a warrior's world. Your fans doesn't want to listen to my dumb ass. <laughs> talk about my website we got it we got it let's go we got to get to the next topic <laughs> well we're gonna go we're gonna go to the next one it's the rest of the teams in the league because i i have a theme for this for these playoffs for the warriors and we'll go into every other team in the western conference or whatever wherever you want to take it my thing is that the warriors lucked out on the first two rounds of the playoffs and i think well i think they'll end up winning all the games and i think they'll end up 16 and 0 but i think they're ending up 8 and 0 for sure um oh see I, I disagree with you there i think I think the Pelicans are going to be a pain in the ass. I think the Pelicans are a team that's peaking at the right time. And, I mean, it might just be because I think Anthony Davis is the best player who's not named LeBron or on the Warriors. So I, I just think they're a nightmare matchup. And they are peaking at the right time. Uh, since they brought Miritich into the starting lineup, they're basically – 
four out and AD, which is just unguardable for anyone. I think that series is going to be a pain for the Warriors because as good as the Warriors have been defensively against the Spurs, the Spurs can't score on anyone. Um, the the Pelicans would be the first team they'd have to play that like those those lazy rotations you see against the Spurs will get punished against the Pelicans. You know they're not even going to get to the second round, right? They're going to beat Portland. Portland is come on now. What you you can't tell me Portland's going to win that series. <laughs> the I'm be- going to I'm going to have Mo take over here. I'm I'm. I think this is going to be, I think the first round is going to be a great series. I think it's going seven and I, I have new Orleans winning it in seven, but it's, it's a toss up when you get to game seven. The, the thing too, about, I I agree with Sam to a degree of like the warriors aren't, or I'm sorry, if it's the Pelicans, the Pelicans aren't going to get swept there. Anthony Davis is going to be the best player in one of those games and, and, and win a game, you know, in, in, in the second round against, Golden State. Yeah, he can elevate. He can he can outplay KD and Steph at least once. And you know, especially and- since I think that they're going to have to deal with um, when Steph comes back. There's going to be a, an integration factor, and it's less the integration factor and more the integration plus the laziness factor that they'll have that makes that costs them a game. Yeah, then- but that, that that yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but but then it also helps if that first round goes seven games. Like I think it it, 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 it will. Like having that extra time to kind of get him up and right. But there's no comparison to uh, the, the there's no practice reps for what a playoff game feels like. And even though he has that experience, again, you got to get up and down in a playoff game. So I think you're right, Sam, in that regards of like it's still he's still got to kind of work some rust off. Yeah, like yeah. he he might you could I could totally see Steph coming back and them running the offense through KD and it being one of those weird games where Steph's just not on the ball as much as he should be for like a game and a half until they like recalibrate to how they like to play or, or one of those games where, you know, he just can't get a rhythm and they're not really interested in playing defense. And all of a sudden it's, it's um, they're down and they don't really know where to go with it because they haven't figured out their rhythm. Like there, there's going to be something there. It's almost a little easier without him um, right. right now. And then it's just natural. It's going to take at least a game or so. It's not, it's not, it's not because they've played <laughs> together for a, a whole season and have played championship games together. So, and it's the Pelicans. It's like at the end of the day, it's yeah, they might go down 15 in the first half and then they'll turn it back on and you can, you might not be able to turn it on against the Houston Rockets um, in a game. And if you're down 15 in the third quarter against Houston, you might not be able to come back, which I argue you can. But against the Pelicans, you're down 15 in the third. Like, that's nothing. Like, they can turn that on and they can readjust and they can win by 15 by the end of the game is over. So that's not – and honestly, for me, if it goes seven and they play either one, then those guys are gassed by then. Like, for the Pelicans, if they win a first round, that's their championship. And for Portland, that's one team that the Warriors can beat with literally. Yeah, one if, Por- if Portland okay. does, so. if Portland does get through, it's a sweep. Like I'm sorry, yeah. there, there's going to be one game where Dame goes off, but it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, that one, that scenario is more more realistic of it being a sweep if it's Portland. But I'll say this, Andy, you're, you're if if OKC is the team Houston's got to play in the second round, then you're right. You guys definitely have the better, the the easier matchup, whether it's Portland or New Orleans. You know. If, <laughs> I'd rather play those teams than OKC in the second round. Yeah. Playoff P. 
Playoff P. Playoff P, man. I, I gotta I give him. him. I gotta give him credit. He, he he gives himself an incredibly corny nickname and then just absolutely backs it up. Like <laughs> you you can't do that unless you're gonna back it up. I mean, you also understand that Swaggy P gave himself that nickname. Yeah, but <laughs> not quite back it up. Yeah, that, oh my and god, that, so and that, that's my Swaggy point. Swaggy played two minutes yesterday. Two minutes, and it was frightening. You know, I, I he he came in the game uh, for Clay to sit for two minutes, and it was just everybody was just petrified. Uh, every time he had to switch, uh, every time he had was yeah. Know, Draymond goes into screen. massively oh overhelp mode. Yep. yep. <laughs> right. That's oh, why that, that might be my favorite Draymond when he like when you can tell he knows his teammate is absolute dog <laughs> shit on defense. So he tries to do way too much. Like it's almost like the d- defensive equivalent of like John Wall or Westbrook on offense, like right. feeling that they have to like take 40 shots or like have the ball at all times. All right. Me against everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> Five guys and one defender. God, that was yeah. That that's that's gonna be a problem. I was thinking they put him in. They'll probably they'll don't play young like in games where if they're down by fifteen and and they need to have a jump start off the bench or something like that. But all right, well anymore, they, they might be able to get team. away with a little more Nick Young against the the Pelicans or Portland yep. or or even Houston, uh, where you can just have them sit on like a a Mo Harkless or a yeah Mo's not or like a um I don't know like a yeah, Mumba, Mumba, Mumba Mute or someone like that. Right. Where it's like for three to four minutes, he can't absolutely kill us on defense, theoretically. Although the minute he goes in, I imagine they'll just try to switch who, him on to them. But I, do, I, I always still have to be nice to, to Nick just because he's the reason why we beat Memphis in game one when he knocked down those threes. This is a while back with the Clippers. Uh, I remember and, and, that game. That was... A, that was uh was that Dan was that Del Negro's last year or second to last year? Second to last year, <laughs> and, and and I'll never forget it because like he hits three threes back to back, and next thing you know we're back in this game, and I was like, holy shit, who would have thought Nick Young was the guy tonight? <laughs> He's gonna pull off something like that too. Here's a thing that I find interesting too, just watching these teams. There, there's a thing as shooters, and as I watch Houston play Minnesota in games like that. There are guys who are shooters, and then there are guys who are confident, but not like those shoot like 35, 36, 37%. But like if they're open, if time is set up, right? Like the Warriors have three guys that are that are pure shooters, and they'll make it no matter what. Doesn't matter where they're set up or anything like that. And then you look at a team like Houston, obviously, you got Paul and you got Harden, but um, and even Harden shooting like what 36 or 37% from three. And then the rest of the guys outside of Ryan Anderson are guys where you're fine with leaving them somewhat open unless they're wide, wide, wide open. So, like, that's another thing where the postseason kind of it, it exposes guys who are, like, Sam, you were saying Mo Harkless at first. Like, he's a fine shooter, but when the postseason comes, when there's pressure and when there's a little, much, little better defense, like, you're not worried about guys like that anymore. Like, this is the same thing that was for Harry B. It's not, it's like, not even that it, – so – People call guys shooters just because they hit open shots, but there's a difference between a guy who can hit a shot in the corner with his feet set, with no defender around him, with the ball passed right to the shooting pocket, and someone who can hit a shot on the go. Like, J.J. Redick is a shooter. Clay Thompson is a shooter. I don't care what uh, 
Mumba Mute's percentages, he's not a shooter, you know? Like, right. if you're going to leave him wide open, he, he'll have a game where he goes three for five from behind the line. But, like, you put any pressure on him, it's not going in. And that's yeah, kind of he- what Houston is, in my opinion, outside of, like, Harden and Chris Paul. And I guess Eric Gordon, too. Like, everyone else kind of needs to be set, planted, and open. Right. And you tweeted something almost exactly to that point yeah. the other day. And I, that's right on. I mean, it's the same thing as like there's a difference between a guy who can score and a scorer, you know, and it, 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 same concept. You know, there are guys who can just get any shot they need, can score on anything versus a guy that just like he can get some points, you know, it, it, in the right scenario. And, and shooters versus he's a shooter is is such a, a, a good uh, difference. Maker. Like Philly is a good example of this. Like as great as Ben Simmons has been, and he has been excellent for a rookie, or excellent for anyone, but especially for a rookie. Like surrounding him with three to four guys who can cut off ball, stop on a dime, and hit a shot, it it takes away his disadvantages so much, right? Like yeah, it, you put you put other you put um, Ariza Tucker and um, I don't know, pick another Houston guy, like guys who are who can hit open shots, but can't move and shoot like that. And it's a different, different thing. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's the, and that's the ball game for them. You know, I, I think in messages with you, Sam, I've, I've literally have said like, I'm going to live with a series where Tucker, Umba, Mute, Ariza, uh, you know, I'm going to live with a series that if they beat me four times, that's fine. I'm I'm not going to let Harden and Chris Paul be the ones who beat me. Those guys have to win the game. I want the ball in their hands more. Right. So, like you're you're almost more concerned with stopping Capella on the pick and roll than any of those guys getting open yeah. shots. Or I mean, you are more not almost. Yeah, you are. I mean, that uh, for sure. All right, we're going to transition. See, my transition my transition is that I'm going to say I'm a transition. Um <laughs> That's slick. Mark, yeah, right. Right, to Mark Jackson, where he's back in the news, interviewing and, with New York tomorrow. Well, uh, this is coming out. This is coming out Wednesday morning. So, interviewing with the New York Knicks today. Uh, As you're listening to this, Mark Jackson is explaining to the Knicks brass why he should be the head coach. Oh Lord! Um, and <laughs> uh, first off, so. I could not think of a worse organization for him to go to. Like I I really, as time has gone on, uh, I honestly feel like Steve Kerr can sometimes gets a little overrated as a coach. I think he's amazing at reading like his team's emotion and managing them throughout a season. He's obviously a good tactician and he's great at like listening to everyone and coming up with like, he's not a stubborn coach, which is, or he's not ultra stubborn, I should say. Um, but he he has a lot of resources at his disposal, right? Right. I think I, I think as time's gone on, we the, a lot of credit went Mark Jackson's way that it probably shouldn't have gone his way when he was the Warriors coach. And um, it may end, and now he's gonna he may end up in maybe the worst run organization who does not know how to manage situations and will not give him like every tool at his disposal to get out of said scenario, not to mention a lot less talent. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like when I was with the Clippers, we were never worried about the Warriors because of Mark Jackson. Like it wasn't like 
that's a well-coached team. Now, the stuff I think, you know, Mark Jackson gets credit for it that he should is, you know, the team defends. There's an importance. There is a importance on placed on defense. That's about it for me. Um, but even then, I kind of like. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it like they traded Monte Ellis for Andrew Bogut. And at that point, Andrew Bogut was one of the best defenders in the league. Yeah. They, every player they drafted was a player with defensive upside. Obviously you have to develop them. They surrounded Mark Jackson with defensive coaches. They brought in Andre Godala, who was one of the best perimeter defenders of his generation, maybe the best at the time they got him. Right. Like, if they couldn't defend with all of basically they kept Steph and tried to surround him with purely defenders. Right. And that's, and the other thing too, and, and, and along the lines with the coaches, I mean, they brought in Mike Malone who really handled a lot of the defensive end for the warriors. The uh, whole thing of, you know, def- let's put the right guys around him and things like that. So that's a front office thing. And you, we give credit to the coaches sometimes, but the biggest thing is, Steve Kerr came in and took a team that won 51 games to 67. And the only change was Sean Livingston. Hey, don't forget Barbosa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. No, you take back the whole comment. You had Leandro Barbosa. That's the reason why that's a 16 win bump. You're right. (laughs) You know, but I mean, he basically took the same roster and just said, Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. Okay, go play. And I mean that that when people want to defend Mark Jackson for being a, a great coach, I'm like, I, no, he he, the tools were in front of him and he just didn't get it done, you know. And 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 and, and that's an unfortunate thing. I heard on a on another podcast. I wish I remember which one to to give it proper uh, respects. But the uh, you know he Mark Jackson is a great stopgap coach. And there are a lot of those. And that's what he was. He got them to the right spot. And But he's not the guy that takes you to from kind of a playoff team to, to being a playoff team to we're a championship team. He's not a championship coach. Yeah, so here, here's my thing with Mark. When I, my first season covering the team was Mark Jackson's last year. So that was my first time ever being around like a professional team. Uh, Mark Jackson, so if you're going to be a leader of men or women or adults or hu- humans, um, you can't be as insecure as he is. Um, and there are things off outside of that that you probably can't say uh, in, in public. But just beyond that, right, he was a person that was very insecure and acted confident but never was with the way that he was viewed, um, either amongst himself, his team, or people that ran the franchise, right? So there, there would be moments, and the weirdest one I still remember, and that was like, dude, I was like 23, so I had no idea what was going on. And I would walk into the press conference um, and I would sit down and I'd be like, oh, man, I'm excited. I'm going to ask a question. This is back when I wanted to ask questions and stuff. Right. I was like, hey, I want to get this for my piece. And I would sit down. And the first thing that I think the Warriors had won a bunch of games, but they were kind of they were losing as well. Like it was like they won 50 games. And it was like second year in a row or some some crap. I forget. But Mark Jackson sits down and literally unprompted goes into like uh, a five minute like monologue about how great this team is and you better goddamn appreciate what this team is up to or, or how they're winning and things like that. And I sat there and I'm like, there is no way that this is how 
a, a coach that's supposed to bring his team to, you know, Mo, like you're saying, like to a championship or even to a second round or a Western. This is not how you lead athletes, professional athletes and adults. Like you don't come out here and you lecture the media like myself. Like, who am I? Right. Yeah. Why are you insecure about what I think uh, of, of the Warriors? Right. Or, or anybody else. So that in itself, that was already a red flag to me. And, and when they fired him, I was like, good riddance, right? Uh, um, it was just like, that just doesn't make sense. That's not what what that's not what a coach does. Yeah, I mean, like the great, <laughs> the great video from a while ago, right, when Luke Walton was still the assistant coach, you know, and, and Steph hits a crazy shot and Kerr's mic'd up and he looks at Walton and goes, that's just good coaching. You know, <laughs> you, you know, like that's he's making a joke. Whereas I feel like if Mark Jackson said that, I, I think he really thinks like, no, that's really good coaching. Like, I'm a great coach. Like I inspired, yeah. I inspired Steph to take, take a guy off the dribble and hit a step back 32 footer. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, come on, man. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's like good luck to the Knicks. The thing for me about Mark Jackson at the end of the day is he's a great raw, raw guy. I think the NBA has a bunch of coaches that are like that, but when you got to hire an assistant coach, to handle the X's and O's, that's a red flag to me for a basketball coach. That's just who I am. I mean, I don't need you to handle everything. I don't need you to know everything. I don't mind you splitting offense and defense and stuff. But when you got to hand the clipboard to one of your assistants to draw up a a play at the end of the game, that's a problem for me because that's, you're you're just gonna hand it off to the so assistant. Th- this is why. It. So this is why Doc was always like so flattery of Mark Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he had the edge there, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it was just like you know, we just wasn't we weren't concerned about his X's and O's. He made some changes in the in the series. You and I have talked about it, Sam, like right. inserting Raymond into the the to the lineup and all of those things and how it affected Blake. But at the end of the day, it's not like when we were walking in, even with Vinny, it wasn't like, okay, where we were worried about being out coached, you know, and and I'm not trying to take a shot at Mark. It's just that was our concerns were these two little fuckers are going to hit a lot of shots. (laughs) And can we stop them? And that's I mean, that's literally was our. it wasn't like, man, like if if we don't, you know. Kerr is going to draw up some sets. It's really going to get them going and, and things like that. And it just, it, you don't get that from, from Mark Jackson. For me, Mark Jackson, I mean, listen, if the Knicks want to interview him, good luck. He, he, he just, the way that organization has ran and the way things have gone uh, over the past few years, uh, that's a very Nixian move to, yeah. to bring in Mark Jackson and to just continue that. For me, for Mark Jackson, like if you really, if I, if he really wants to be successful as a coach, he should be a college coach. That is, he is right up that alley. I feel like he could go in and recruit his ass off. I don't even think it's really that much about actual X's and O's in college basketball when it comes to coaching as much as it is just let's have superior talent and let these dudes run. I think he could do a I great mean, he job. Ran a, he ran a college offense with the Warriors, just like let the, let the guards do whatever they <laughs> want and just kind of like tell everyone else to goon it up around them. That's pretty much college basketball, right? <laughs> right. Right. And that's, and I mean, that, that pretty much is. And I think that's kind of his thing. And I think, you know, uh, I, we're not really talking about much, but I think it's the same thing for Jason Kidd. I think he'd be a great college coach. I don't think they're NBA level coaches. There's a whole other level of ego management that if you're the insecure dude, the way Andy described him, you know, you're not going to do a good job. How are you going to get well, Draymond th- to calm down? 
And I think that's actually kind of like he, I mean, Steph has to be the easiest star in the league to coach from that standpoint. Like Mark Jackson got a lot of leeway from the fact that like Steph generally likes any coach who respects him. <laughs> and then just like, you know, once your best player is cool with it, it, it gets you a lot of leeway, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the big thing. You got to get the buy-in from your best player. And then from there, you got to get all the other players, you know, and, and that's, that's such a big thing. And so him and Steph were super cool. And, and listen, you know, Steph is very religious and Mark Jackson's a pastor and you know, that's, you, you, everybody can just look about his other stuff on uh, how feel about it, however they want to feel. But <laughs> you know, he, he has, you know, he, he, he does, you know, he is a pastor. So you can feel like they connected on some level there and, and he got buy-in from Steph and Steph really liked him and, and, and things like that. But at a certain point too, it's like, that's not enough. You know, he had some weird stuff go on with his staff. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. The, the Darren Ehrman thing, when I first heard that story and I was still with the Clippers, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and he Video did record or sorry. Um, audio, audio recording. recording him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he, like he, he audio. So for those who don't know, I mean, he basically is like audio recording meetings with Mark Jackson and the staff. Cause he feels like he's being unfairly picked on. I'm like, listen, when you got to wear a wire to coaches meetings, that's a problem. You know, he had, you know, he had I mean, issues. So you've with, been, you've been in coaches meetings. Are they not normally contentious that you need to wire? I mean, I mean, they're not normally, they're, listen, they, they are every coaching staff at one point or another has had a contentious co- coaches sure. meeting, right? You're going to have disagreements. I, mean, I think that's with, true in any business and any time yeah. you have like management meetings. Right. And, and that's going to happen. And you're going to have arguments and things like that, but it's not to the point that you feel like you got to go undercover you know, and, 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 and put on the wire and, and, and have recordings to, to, to back yourself up later. You know, what the uh, biggest tell for me was Ehrman got immediately rehired. Like if he was in the wrong there, like in the serious wrong, like he was crazy and he had no reason to do that. He would not have been touched by another team. Yeah. And, and, and that was the thing. It was like, once you dove into the, the, listen, the initial reaction when I heard that, I was like, man, his career is done. Right. Then once, once you hear it, you're like, Oh, Oh, he'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> it's just kind of like, Oh, that, okay. That makes sense. And then you add in, which is something that probably doesn't get remembered too much was the whole Brian Scalabrini thing, you know, and, 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 and reassign Brian Scalabrini from your staff to, to, to the D league. Just sometimes you don't really hear that often mid-season, and that was a weird situation. <laughs> well, that that was yeah. I mean, that was like losing control, and then you're trying to grasp at what you might be able to, you know, what you can have left well, and, right, and, in terms of control and power on that team. And it's the th- the thing about it is that Steph, like the thing about it, I I like the Kerr hire um, just because it was someone else. Um, but the thing is, is that Steph and Draymond and Clay and Harrison, they, the funniest part is that they didn't know any better. Like they would have, if it was up to them, Mark Jackson would have still been the coach. And as young guys, like you can trust those guys, but they just didn't know that there they was had nothing to go off of. Exactly. Yeah, right. There was nothing else for them. And the moment that Steve Kerr arrived and Steve Kerr, well, really, he benched Iguodala, and, and honestly, if I were Iguodala, if I were Steph, I would have been like, fuck you, right? No, you're not going to bench him, but, you know, Steph is who Steph is, and 
they allowed that to happen. It worked out. And that's when you're like, oh, crap. This guy knows exactly. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Steve Kerr had five titles and was a it was a GM too, right? So, right. so but, but that like that thing right there, and that's what made this team who they are. It's just they they got. I mean, it's just like a perfect transformation. And people who say that hey, Mark Jackson, they brought him this far, yes. But if Mark Jackson had stayed and coached that team any longer, it would have been a blow up or something would have happened where. And definitely these guys would not be on the same team anymore. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Barnes was already out. Like, Kerr saved Barnes's career. I mean, right. Barnes would have ended up somewhere else at some point and found a way because he's too talented to not be an NBA player. But he was legitimately <laughs> unable to play in the Clippers series. And it wasn't because the Warriors had, like, nine or ten good players. It was just because, like, he'd been so beaten up and nothing they were doing made sense. And he was in just... I mean, he was so unplayable in that series. Um, yeah, and, you know... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, Sam. No, go ahead. I was, I was... Well, I mean, it's just a matter of... Such a key part about coaching is getting buy-in. Like we are talking about, Mark Jackson got buy-in from Steph Curry. Problem is, Steph Curry wasn't smart enough at that point to realize what he was buying. But, you know, Kerr comes in, gets buy-in from everybody immediately, and the first sign of him getting people to buy in is he got Andre Iguodala to agree to go into the bench, you know, and, and to let them play Harrison Barnes and, and things like that. And he's able to keep guys engaged all the way through. Kerr has his warts. We've talked about it. Just the rotation stuff alone still, still drives me insane. A little too, um, little too much uh, kumbaya every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in that regards, but it's like, you know, and he has his warts and no coach is perfect, but it's like, man, these guys know where he's coming from, though. I feel like Kerr is probably the ultimate communicator. He, he might right. be the, the, the TMI coach. He might be giving these guys almost too much information where they're like, yo, coach, we don't need to know about your bowel movements. We got you. We're going to run the play. We got it. Um, you know, but like that's I just feel like that's kind of who he is. And that's a big difference from what they got from a very antagonistic Mark Jackson. Yeah, I kind of I almost feel like um, the narrative to a degree was like Steve Kerr's system created the superstar, whereas in many ways, I feel like if anything, Curry showed how much of a superstar he was with like the Warriors winning 50 games in that turmoil with no semblance of an offense, just like basically just because he's that talented and like I mean at that point you know Draymond wasn't even I mean he was a back of the bench rotation player Clay was nowhere near as good like it really was kind of a testament to just kind of Steph is a special player who can just win games on his own if the team defends enough yeah I mean that was our focus was those two guys you know and and, and mainly if we can force Steph into turnovers you know, uh, if we can just get to clay, we were going to we were very confident we were going to win the series. And we did, by the way, just want to remind you guys that uh, um, easy now <laughs> I had to take the one shot I had, um, you know, uh, but like we were able to kind of keep that going. So what but what you saw what happened once the next season, you guys took that next level and, you know, Draymond it was, it became non-competitive. It, none of the games were. And part of it was, you know, you guys just felt like going out of your way to beat the shit out of the Clippers. And <laughs> partly it's because I wasn't there to do video anymore. Okay. I think that just, I'm just saying it's not a coincidence. Um, but you know, the other side of it too is like, 
Draymond was unleashed and, 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 you know, his versatility on offense was something that every team struggles with, you know, a bogut setting, you know, got even better with his screen setting, you know, which is kind of weird to say, but you know, the versatility Iguodala coming off the bench is just another factor and a, another dimension added to the team that just made, made you guys so much more difficult to guard. And that was a, that was the thing. It wasn't like, you know, now when you play the Warriors, it's what are we going to do about Draymond Clay? And this is before KD, you know, what are we doing? About, you know, we know Steph's going to go off. Can we stop Steph? No, but if we can stop the other guys, now we have to worry about more than just two players. Now we're worrying about three players, you know, Bo gets a problem on the, on the defensive end. How are we going to attack him? You know, not even that, you know, and, and if Bo gets out, you know, now we got to deal with Draymond being super physical. It's just all of these different things. Now it just becomes a more difficult team to, to, to even scout versus when it was just, eh, we just got to worry about those two guys. Just worry about those li- that little guy running in a circle and hitting 30 footers. Yeah. You know, and that's good coaching. That's good. Well, trip down memory lane. I got, I got one more uh, that I, that I want to go over. Um, it's Draymond Green in that series. So, so I remember uh, Draymond Green, you said being unleashed um, that year that, uh, that Kerr and obviously Kerr got lucky with the way that was unleashed. But I, I vividly remember that game seven that the Clippers won that Draymond Green guarded Blake Griffin um, and actually locked him down. And really for most of that series, and they kind of stumbled into that too. Um, Griffin scored, but I was, I remember watching that live and I was just like, wait, hold us, hold up. Like that was when Blake Griffin was one of the best post guys, big men in the league. And then it was Draymond Green. It was a second-round pick. He couldn't shoot, right? We didn't know if he could pass. We didn't know if he was big enough. Didn't know if he could defend. And there he was facing down Blake Griffin ISO defense, right? And he was playing him, and he was talking. And that was when I realized, like, yo, like, that is weird. Like, that was not normal. And even though that he couldn't score and he was shooting, like, maybe, I think it was, like, 25% from three and, like, 40% from the field or something even worse than that, that when he was on the floor, something good happened, regardless of what it was. If Draymond was on the floor, that was good. And in that series, in that Clippers series, I, I mean, I'm sure you noticed that you, you're doing film for that. But that was something that that was – Kerr didn't see it because Kerr didn't start him, right? And that was just something that – that was the beginning of Draymond Green. And that was against Blake Griffin. Um, so that, that was a fun series. And never forget also the other thing is that Chris Paul fouled the crap out of Steph. I don't know what you're talking about. Chris Paul does never fouls. Never fouls, Andy. (laughs) Uh, It's fun because, you know, listen, a seven-game series is fun as all hell. Um, That one was pretty crazy, too, just because that was also in the middle of the whole Sterling thing. So. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like we all forget that in history. Um, I mean, everyone remembers the Sterling thing. Every Warriors fan remembers that series because it was the last thing before they took the step. But you kind of forget that those two coincided at the same time. I mean, it, it happened in between games three and four. Like, Sterling flew oh, with man. us to Golden State. Like, he was <laughs> on the team playing. We go to game three. And then we find we we find out what's about to happen, and we're just like, oh wow! And that I mean, listen, that messed with us. Game four, you know. Um, yeah, and, game and, four. I do remember game four was just a a blowout in the Warriors' favor. They're the Clippers yeah. were very flat. 
we were we 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 were we were not in, in in any condition to play that game. I mean, we were listen. We had when you're at the team hotel, you know, there's there's if anybody's ever been to the team, seen where the team stay or whatever. When you're going yeah. onto the bus, there's always a line of like autograph seekers, and and most of them work at memorabilia stores and all that stuff. There's usually a couple of kids, you know, that group tripled. You know, when, after the Sterling thing came out and it was all of a sudden it was like media and stuff. And it was, you know, I made a point not to wear my Clipper gear when I wasn't going to a practice or a meeting. Like if I wanted to go grab a burger, I'm like, I'm not wearing my Clipper gear because I don't want a reporter to come up to me and ask me stuff because that was a genuine problem for us. And I'm just an idiot support staff guy. Right. Like I'm not even a player that 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 could, has to be. There's no way Blake Griffin yeah, can disguise. You're, you're not you're not Doc Rivers or Blake Griffin where it's, yeah, it's just too I, obvious. I mean, I mean, that weighed on us. I mean, like it was it was a crazy ass series. And, you know, when you when we won game seven, it it was a bit of relief for us. Like we felt like, oh, OK, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and, and, and I don't want to take anything away from the Warriors. Draymond was awesome defensively on Blake, you know, when you look at the numbers and everything he did, he, he definitely did a good job on Blake. And that was the start of, of, of the Draymond swag shit talking Dre that we have now. <laughs> you, uh, that was a, yeah. Never mind. Good. That was, that was fun. That was a good trip down to LA there. It just, I just, it just got me thinking of all the things that made the warriors who they are. Cause it's kind of like you watch the team now with Kevin Durant and it's like a, it's like a brand new thing out there where it's it's just these guys are so good where there's just no there's no underdog niche ish kind of stuff you know so so that was good. they went I mean, they went corporate got... they went from yeah. the, they went from the to bring <laughs> it silicon public. valley they went they went from startup to public yeah well yeah. You, you know what the, the dream for everybody should be to want to sell out you know i have a small True. blog now my ultimate goal is to sell out <laughs> like if, if 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 somebody calls me a sellout, I'm gonna be happy because that means I made it. Absolutely, um, <laughs> don't lie, right? That you get money. Like, hey, I'm getting acquired. I'm getting paid though. That's like, you that, can talk all the shit you want, but I'm getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Let me get in my Tesla. You know, <laughs> all all kind of concepts like that. You know, the the addition of KD has made me very happy. I'm not in the video room because that would just give me nightmares and just. The having to figure out how to defend you guys, even with with KD now added to that group, it's just like, man, I'm happy to just do the media stuff. <laughs> that makes it easy. Oh <laughs> man! All right, Mo, you got anything else? Mo, you got stuff you want to plug and, and anything else you want to talk about? Well, you know the the, the website's thejumpball.net. You could find me on Twitter at Mo Dakhil D A K H I L underscore N B A uh on on twitter and, and and i just post everything i do there ignore the bad jokes uh <laughs> i every now and then post about dogs that are looking to be adopted or, or fostered so uh help out there if you can and 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 you know just let's just have a good time with it i appreciate having you on man that was hell fun uh thank you for having that's the only hella i get i deal with two norcal guys that's the only time i get hella is at the very end <laughs> you guys are terrible NorCal guys. <laughs> we've, been gen- we've been gentrified too much. <laughs>